Tandem Nomads, episode 140. One of the problems that a lot of therapists have is that they don't see what they're doing as a business. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to grow a successful portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. I am your host, Amel Deregi. I'm a marketing and business coach and the host and your host today. So I'm really excited to talk about a very specific topic today, which is how to build a portable business when you're a psychologist or psychotherapist. And I know that there is some barriers to making a practice portable. And I was so excited when I met our guest today, who's doing an amazing job at helping her patients while traveling the world. You are the living proof, Sonia, that it is possible. But Nomad Nation, just one Thing here to all of you who are not psychologists or not psychotherapists, I think you also learn a lot from this episode on some great strategies of how to grow a portable business, no matter what it is. Sonia Yeager, thank you so much for being here. And are you ready for this ride? Yes, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. The Nomad Nation, Dr. Sonia Yeager is a German-French psychologist, psychotherapist, and PhD. She has been living a location-independent life as a digital nomad for the past four years while working as an online therapist, providing online counseling to expats and other globally mobile clients in German, French, and English. So growing up, she, um, with two languages and cultures herself, she experienced the challenges and advantages of cross-cultural life at an early age. So after finishing her PhD, she decided to take a break and travel the world. But instead of returning home, she decided to open a private counseling practice online and has been traveling the world ever since. In 2018 alone, she went to and worked from 12 different countries, 12 different countries from Australia, Europe, and all the way to Latin America. So talking about portable business, I don't think that can be more portable than that. So um, Dr. Sonia also mentors other psychotherapists who want to work online and facilitate workshops that broach the issues of mental health and living globally. Sonia, again, thank you so much for being here. And is there anything you want to add? And tell us where you are now, what's happening in your world. So I'm in Adelaide in South Australia right now, and it's winter here and I'm really cold, especially <laughs> after having spent seven months in hot, warm countries. It's been really an adjustment to come back to somewhere that's quite cold right now. Um, one of the things I wanted to add to what you said is I think, yes, it is different from a business in maybe compared to other businesses. And I'm sure we will talk about that more in this podcast. But I also think that it's actually one of the problems that a lot of therapists have is that they don't see what they're doing as a business. And once they manage to see it, I suppose it is a counseling practice and there's all of the ethical and other work going into that. But it's also a business that you want to grow and that you want to make money with and that you want to live off. You know, it's not, it's not a hobby. And it's not just something that we do because we want to help other people. Obviously, that's part of it. But if that's your only motivation, then just do it for free. And, you know, that's not the same as if you want to have a profitable, sustainable, long-term career, online business, portable business, digital nomad career, lifestyle. 
All right. I think we're ready to stop this episode because you just <laughs> dropped the major message I wanted to share in this episode. So Sonia, thank you so much because Nomad Nation, I can tell you from my experience what Sonia is saying now is the key here to be able to make a practice portable is this mindset shift. I've worked with so many psychologists who don't want to talk about their business, their practice as a business. And this is why when I started the intro, I was like, all right, we get it. But actually you're saying that you're saying it's a mindset shift and we have to have that mindset that we need to treat it as a business, even if we care for our patients beyond maybe exactly. the, the business attitude. Uh, and it's not just about money, but you need money to be able to serve them. Yeah. And, and also I think one of the problems is that psychologists often don't understand that the business mindset doesn't mean it can't follow your own values. You know, you can fit those things together. You can create a business that's profitable at the same time um, also does what you would like it to do. Like there are so many ways to serve people and to help people. You can offer sliding scales. You can offer some pro bono. You can offer, you can work with different types of people. You can offer different types of services, especially online. We can do almost whatever we want. You know, um, there are so many things we can do, but you need also that kind of business mindset. And I think it's, and you can combine those. It's not too completely, it doesn't have to be different things. I think they can in, be integrated. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Sonia, because this is really important that we bring this up. I'm so glad you brought it up. So you're what we call a digital nomad in a way. We did yes. not mention that. And um, it's funny because we have had an episode previously, Nomad Nation, I will Put all the resources we'll mention today in the show notes of this episode. So you need to go to tandemnomads.com slash 140. And I will share a few links there that might be helpful to you, including a guidebook to be able to build your portable business. So go to tandemnomads.com slash 140 and you'll find it there. What I will add there too is an episode I had with Kate that you also know of the difference between being an expat and a digital nomad. So I don't want to expand on that, but uh, just a few words. What do you want to share about that, the differentiation between being an expat and a digital, digital nomad? Well, I'm definitely, an, even within the digital nomad world, I'm one of the extreme cases. Yeah, I do have an address in Germany and I pay my taxes there, but I don't have a home base. I don't have my own apartment anymore. I have... Um, a little bit of furniture in storage just in case one day I want to have a home base again. Um, I have many places in the world where I feel at home um, and where I feel like a local, but I don't have that one place that I always come back to. I have many places that I come back to. I have family a little bit all over the world. Um, my partner's Australian, so that's why I'm in Australia right now. Mm. Um, I'm German and French, so already there are three countries in there just to see the close family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I travel a lot to go to conferences or to attend events or just because I want to see a new country or because my partner was working in Japan or because there's some other reasons. So I have that flexibility to really just go wherever I want um, and then just stay longer. Like I'm not I don't have to go to a conference and only stay the three days of the conference because I have to go back home. And I met, you know, we met at a conference and it was that kind of situation where you had to rush to the next event or to the next place. Yeah. And I just stayed for three weeks because I can just, you know, and create my life like that. And obviously I also don't have children, which makes it a lot easier. Um, and I, I work with a lot of expats and I actually, I find my life in many ways a lot easier 
because I don't have to actually move. I don't have to open a bank account. I don't have to figure out bureaucracy. I've always lived in Germany. I understand how to pay my taxes in Germany. I've never had to figure out how to do anything of any of those things in any other country. Yeah, I need to buy a SIM card. I need to rent an Airbnb apartment, you know, some basic stuff. But that's really pretty easy. And it doesn't take more than half a day in each country to figure those things out. So I find in many ways, my life a lot easier than the traditional expat life. That I love your, 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 the way you explained what it is for you to be a digital nomad and the differences with being an expat, which is we have to settle at some point. We move regularly, but we have to settle in those countries and we move our lives. In your case, you don't move your life. You still have Germany as your tax base. And we'll talk about that, by the way. But uh, you have more freedom to move. And I, I remember you told me that you started traveling alone for many years and then you met your partner and now you travel with your partner. And I think on average, every month, latest or every two weeks three weeks right yes this year has definitely been a bit more intense than some other years like we've also had slower travel years yeah. but this year it's just happened that there were things to see your places to go and um so i think this is i've had two months this year where i stayed in a place for a whole month wow um and the other times was one week or two weeks and um but also Like you said, I don't have that kind of like, I don't have to create a home where I am. Like I have that in in my backpack. I don't have, you know, a whole container coming. I don't have, I don't decorate my home. I just take whatever is there and I don't really, you know, as long as it's clean and, you know, I have a few items and things like that, but really I don't have much in my, my routines. And I sometimes joke that my laptop is my home, mm. you know, because that's the constant. That's the, where I do my work, where I have my friends or my phone. Um, is my home. But in the end, I think it's really that kind of like creating the sense of home within yourself. That is what is the most important for me and with in the work that I do. And then it doesn't really matter where you are. Yeah, exactly. I want to go through some of the reasons that I hear, but I would love to see what you think uh, of why it's not so easy to make a, a psychology or psychotherapy practice portable. What are the barriers to make it portable? Well, the main barrier really is that depending on where you're from or where you're licensed or where you're based or however you want to call it, legal issues are really tricky. It's especially mm -hmm. the case for the US, but it's also really complicated in Germany. Actually, I'm not allowed to do therapy online because that has to be offline in Germany or only partly online. So what I do is counseling, but counseling in Germany is not the same as counseling in English. Um, it's more like the unregulated coaching, but it's a bit more than that. So it's like, it's, it gets quite quickly very complicated um, but at the same time there are many many ways to still do it and the clients are out there and they're waiting for us and they're ready for this and they don't mind doing it online or that's what they want um, and as a digital nomad there's lots of there are a lot of lots of things where you realize that the world is not ready for us like immigration is a huge issue for digital nomads because how do you travel i can i cannot get a work visa but most tourist visas say you can't work. So what does that mean? I'm not taking away a job from anyone here. I'm not working with local clients, but I am here physically and I'm working while I'm doing that. But every person today on holidays does write and answer work emails. Are they working? Are they doing something illegal? Like where do you draw the line? So there are lots mm -hmm. and lots of issues to figure out around those legal um, boundaries, but also... I think a lot of people are really scared of the ethical and privacy and confidentiality and how to handle that online. 
and yes, there are guidelines and there are things to, you know, to learn and to do. And um, you shouldn't use WhatsApp with your clients or the Facebook Messenger. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's not that complicated to figure out. Um, but there's no reason why you can't do it. Yes. Okay. So here are so many of the things I've heard, like one after the other. I've heard those all reasons, especially the legal and administrative aspects of running a practice. Um, I'd like to know what are some of the practical advice you could share about those barriers, starting with having a license and what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, depending where your license is coming from. Let's just start with that example. Um, what would you, how would you advise to approach that? Well, first you need to figure out what you're allowed to do and what not. And that usually means you have to talk to your licensing board. You have to talk to your insurance. If you have one, if you're from a country where you need um, liability insur insurance, that's not the case everywhere. Um, you need to figure out what kind of clients are you allowed to work with online? Where are you allowed to be yourself while you're working online? Like there's a lot to figure out. Um, but that's definitely where I would start. Just figure out what other things that you can do with your current license. And then obviously a lot of people then realize that they might need to change work in a different way um, if they're not allowed to do it at all. Okay. So first figure out what you're allowed to do or you're not allowed to do. But can you give us a practical example with your case? So you said counseling, you cannot, you can't do counseling, but you can't do therapies. Yes. That's, for example, a fine line. It's difficult to. So how did you, how do you, did you just job doing psychotherapy or how do you? Yeah, so what I, I do know. is that I tell people that I'm a psychotherapist. I'm trained and I have the, the background and the experience. But I, what I provide is counseling and I explain the difference. And mm -hmm. there are some cases where it's very easy to, to know the difference. Like I would not, like just ethically, I would not want to work with someone online who is, has a severe depression, suicidal thoughts, maybe living in a country where it's really going to be complicated to access them or to, um, to handle that. But then there are a lot of people who come to me who have like lighter symptoms, like less severe symptoms. Um, and I will see with them, like, is it make, does it make more sense for them to find a psychotherapist if it's someone who's living in Germany and where there are alternatives or someone who's living in a country where there are therapists um, in their language or from their cultural background, then I will help them find someone. And if they live somewhere where it's not possible or if for some reason they really want to talk to me, then we will talk about um, what we can do together and how we can do it and, um, and then just do it. Excellent. This is excellent advice here. So I'd like to try to summarize and maybe rephrase some of the things I heard from what you said and let me know if this is correct. Um, the first thing you said that I liked and is important is do your research. This is actually the case for everything in general when we want to launch ourselves into something. Do your research and spend the time on it, but also talk to other people who had the experience too. So I'm sure, Sonia, you are actually a mentor for psychologists who want to do that. So I think it would be great if they could reach out to you to do the research and ask the people who have done it. But then uh, from your answer about that fine line of legal aspects, I would say basically it's about, first of all, being comfortable with the gray zone. I realized that a lot of 
psychologists and psychotherapists have been discussing with are very uncomfortable with playing with that gray zone. And I think that's the case actually, even for expat partners in general who don't have, for example, a visa to work in a country because they can't work in that country, they'll just drop their careers. And I think that's the one thing we have to change, getting comfortable with the gray zone and then defining, okay, where is my limit? Where does it stop ethically, but also in terms of my values and in terms of what I think is dangerous or not legally? So um, I think that's the one thing that I'd like to invite because I know that the legal aspects change so much depending of where you got your license, et cetera. So we can't give you practical like advice for each country, but I think that's the, the key way to look at it. I think what I find often helpful is to Yes, you have to do your research and you have to know what you're allowed to do and what not, et cetera. But also go back to your training, your ethical, your values, your, your standards yourself and think about whether you are comfortable doing this and what you're comfortable doing. Like, for example, what I have um, sometimes is people where I definitely can say I would not work with them online in the sense of doing counseling or therapy with them, but they're waiting They have to wait for six months until they get a spot for therapy in their country because in Germany at the moment, in many places, you have really long wait lists. So I can work with them during those six months. I will not do traditional therapy with them, but I can support mm -hmm. them through that time and I can help them get over those six months so that then they are ready to actually start therapy. So many people contact me who are really unsure about whether therapy is what they need whether, you know, how it's going to be, what it's going to be like. And you can work with them in a different way. Like there's so many different ways to work with people. And I like that this online, at least for me, has allowed me to really open up my thinking on what I can do with people. And it doesn't have to be the very traditional 50-minute psychotherapy session every week or twice a week or whatever your background is. Excellent, yeah. It's a very innovative approach to look at it, but also getting thinking out of the box in a way and being creative about how you can support your patients. You have the skills. It's just about also making it in the boundaries of the legal aspects, but also your ethical values. So that's fantastic. There's another barrier that I've heard a lot is I don't think I can create that connection with my patient through online tools. I need that And we need to, my patient would need that physical presence. So what would you answer to that? I think it's the ter therapists who think that they need it more than the, pat the patients or the clients actually need it. Um, my experience is that clients are ready for this, or at least those who reach out are ready for it. Um, obviously, it is not the same as being in the same room. There is information that is lost. You don't have the whole body. Um, you don't have the energy in the same way as if you were in a room But at the same time, the distance actually allows people to open up very easily sometimes, and it can be even helpful. Um, and I think so many people today are so comfortable um, and so used to having meetings online, working with their remote team in many different countries, having a long-distance relationship, whether they Skype or they FaceTime or whatever. It's just so many people are so used to it. Um, one of the differences that I find sometimes a bit difficult and that I didn't anticipate is the eye contact that is actually mm -hmm. a lot more intense online because if you were in a room offline, you would usually just, you know, look somewhere in the room and you still have that sense of physical presence. And online, there's a lot more attention in this small space. So it can mm -hmm. sometimes be even more intense and it can be more difficult to like allow the, the gaze to just drift away and to think because you feel like you have this um, 
focus on some. So that's been really interesting to notice. But um, mm-hmm. I would just say in general to those therapists, just try it, you know, give it a mm-hmm. chance, try it and see what it's like. Excellent. That's the case, you know, for everything, even for those, I would say, for those who don't think they can run a business. I'm like, you don't know until you try it. And if you fail on it, you would have gotten some skills, trust me. And that will be so helpful for the for the future, no matter what you try to do. Definitely. And one of the things I feel like, especially therapists are forgetting, is that things like phone helplines, phone counseling mm-hmm. or email counseling, those things have been around for a long time it's not new that you can help people on the phone. All of those emergency helplines, that's what they do. That's what they've been doing for the last 50, 60 years. Obviously, it's not the same as therapy, but it's, it is just a phone and it works. Such a good point. Okay, so you said something at the beginning that I want to highlight here that you think that actually it's more a problem for the therapist mm-hmm. than really for the patient. So I, I just want to remind that to you, Nomad Nation, if you're in that situation, think about it and try to be honest to yourself. Is it really the patient the problem or is it not your resistant to it? And I think Sonia is a great, whatever, everything you shared here might hopefully help you to get over that resistance. Um, but let's just real quick, let's imagine it is the patient who's like, no, I don't think I can do it online. What would you answer to that? I actually don't think that patient would contact us because I only work <laughs> online. So um, what, what I do have is that I do both email counseling and I also have video sessions or sometimes people would like to have only voice and not video. So I have a diff- different approaches there. And in general, I just... That's a good tip, by the way. I'm interrupting you, but talking about the you were talking about the eye contact. Yeah. I think that's a good way to drift away that pressure and tension is to just have audio which is possible it's absolutely possible and sometimes it's necessary because the internet's not good enough to have video (laughs) um but i think just talk about it and figure out what's best for the two of you and for in that relationship with that client if that client prefers to not have the video or if that client needs something different um i know therapists who do chat-based therapy like there's so many ways to do it but um, I'm not going to try to convince a client who really thinks that they want to see someone face-to-face that they should try it online. That's not my job. There are enough people out there who already want it and who are ready for it, and they really don't care. They just want to talk to someone. Exactly. Yeah. So, perfect. We covered all those barriers that I hear a lot psychologists facing. So, I hope, Nomad Nation, if you're a psychologist or psychotherapist, you found some great motivation here to pass those barriers. Uh, let's talk more about now the business aspect <laughs> of um, of launching your, let's say it now, business, because we're ready to talk that, to use that word now that we pass those barriers. Um, I'd like to know first, what did you have to adjust in your business model to be able to make it portable as a psychotherapist, psychology, psycho, psychologist, sorry. Um, how did you have to adjust the business model? So because of the legal issues, I did have to adjust the types of clients that I would work with. If I was working offline, I would definitely see more people with more severe symptoms and um, issues. But I don't really, it's not really a problem online because those people don't actually contact me. Like it's very rare that I get someone where I have to say, I don't think online is the right thing for you. You have to go somewhere else. That really doesn't happen very often. Um, I had to adjust 
some of the methods that I use, some of the exercises, because obviously I don't have a big flip chart where I can write on or like a big piece of paper. I mean, you can do those things online, but it is different. Or I used to have, you know, like cards or like just physical things that you can use with them as an exercise or where you use the room, where you use different chairs, where you use different objects. And in the end, you can do those things online. You just have to figure out how to do it. And you have to figure out how to adapt those things. Um, very often, I just try to figure it out together with my clients. So I'm very mm -hmm. transparent and very open with them about those things. And I'm like, well, this is an exercise I would like to do it. If we were in the same room, this is how I would do it with you. Let's try to figure out how we can do it online. What do you think makes sense? Does it make sense for you to do it in the room and I just watch from the distance and talk to you about it? Or do we use a whiteboard? Or do you want to just print the exercise and do it and then show it to me or talk about it? Like, there's so many ways to do it, but obviously you have to adapt those things. But I think it can be a great part of the work with them to do it as a joint adventure mm. kind of exercise. I love that way of thinking. That's fantastic. And, you know, I looked at your website and I was looking at your different services, packages and revenue streams. So could you describe them to us? So my, my primary really business or what my, the, the core of my business and what I really love most is the one one-on-one -on -one online work with the clients. Mostly it's video sessions. I also do a little bit of email counseling, but most is video sessions. One-on-one, um, -on -one, I also have some couples or some families. Um, I just recently had an um, adult mother-daughter um, couple, basically, um, in, in counseling where they live in different countries and they have some family issues that they would like to resolve and talk about. And so obviously living in different countries, it really makes sense to just meet as a three-way Zoom meeting um, and do this online. So the, the immediate work with the clients, that's my main main focus or what I love most. Um, but obviously when you start building a business like that and you're one of the first to do it in your country um, and to be successful, you have people reaching out to you and wanting advice and wanting to know how to do it. And um, so over time, we've built quite a strong um, location independent therapist community, an international one, and also there's a German community or German speaking community. And I've started doing some um, coaching or mentoring for colleagues who start their online business um, I run some masterminds with German-speaking colleagues and I'm, I might start an English-speaking one because I'm getting more requests for um, the same in English. Um, and so, yeah, having that kind of mentoring for colleagues is the second aspect of my business. And then the third is offline workshops or offline events from talking at conferences to now in New Zealand in September. I will um, do some um, workshops and um, present at an event for HR people and companies and expat employees um, on mental health, basically for internationals, migrants and expats. Yeah, and just repeating also to add to it, I do it in three languages. So it's also a lot of work, to be honest, to do it in many languages. But And I don't do all of it in all of the languages. But to those listening, if you can do it in a, in a language that is not English, go for it. There are so many English-speaking therapists already working online. You can still build your business and you can still be successful. But if you can do it in another language that, you know, is your language or that where you come from um, and reach those people that maybe don't have as many online therapists yet, I mm. managed to get to number three on Google after a year of consistent weekly blogging. And if you look for online counseling or online therapist in German, 
um, I was number one and number two for a while, and now I'm still on the first page. And I'm still the first private practice, like all oh, the other links are you know, newspaper articles or like big directories or things like that. Excellent. And that's a very good segue because I wanted to ask you about some of your marketing strategies yes. that helped you grow this business. Um, so we talk a lot about content and I will, Nomad Nation, as I said, go to tandemnomads.com slash 140 and I'll share with you an episode where we talk about how to build a, a content strategy to be able to be able to be referenced on Google, like Sonia just mentioned. So you'll be able to find that um, on tandemnomads.com slash 140. And yeah, so creating content is really crucial to be able to be present online and being consistent at it. Uh, and it's funny you talked about the language because that's another challenge that I've seen for those who speak many languages. Like what language should I choose? Should I just write in every language? And how do I manage the magnitude of the work it is? And also in terms of social media, how do I make my posts? Should I do them all in English? Should I, all, should I put all the languages? So what's your approach with that? Yeah, so I've been going for a mixed approach. So I started with three languages and the idea I will do everything in all three languages. And obviously that was way too ambitious, um, at least at the beginning. Um, so after a while, I decided to focus on the German speaking market and really put all of my energy in there. But I have, um, and then a year and a half ago or so, I decided to add more focus onto the French and started translating again more. So maybe for a year or so, my French blog was kind of... Um, dormant and then the English also was you know not that active all the time and now this year I've been trying to mix it up more and to really try to serve all three languages um but also the market so do you have a main, I'm just sorry I'm interrupting just to uh, to not forget about this you talked about the how you switch the languages and etc uh, so your post is kind of easy you just put it on your website but how about your newsletter and your mailing list? Because as uh, we mentioned in this episode where I talk about content, the most important here is to have a mailing list. So how do you, do you like have a mailing list for each language where you send your newsletter regularly in each language to each mailing list of each language? Or do you have one mailing list and then you shift languages? What's your strategy here? My strategy is that at the moment, I only have a mailing list for the German speaking world. So I've just oh, really okay. reduced it and I've decided to, and that's that was part of my strategy was to at some point say, okay, I want to focus on the German speaking world because it just makes sense for me for many reasons. And compared to the French market, the Germans are also much more ready for this and for what I have to offer. The French are still a bit, I'm not so sure about this whole online thing in general. Um, so it was a lot easier to get into the German market than it is for colleagues to get into the French market. Um, for example, so it's also research again, you know, know your audience, know your market. Um, but I do have, because in general, Germans speak English quite well, and especially my type of clients or so the expats and the internationals, they don't mind a post in English. Um, most of them do speak English. Um, so my Instagram is completely in English because I don't want to have like all of those translated things. I feel like, okay, you just have to speak English or otherwise just don't. And then sometimes people will comment in German and be like, oh, I'm not sure if I fully understand it, but I think I understood this. And then they will comment in German or some people will comment in French and ask a question. And then I will just respond in those languages and that's perfectly fine. Um, my website and my blog so has three languages, but it doesn't get published always at the same time. I will translate something later. Well, you know, do it whenever, however we can, but um, there is a new blog post every week. Um, and at the moment it's alternating between the different languages. 
Um, so one week it will be a German one, another week a French one, another week an English one, etc. Um, and your newsletter is weekly, right? No, it is at the oh, moment. Okay. Um, well, I have two newsletters in German, so I have one for the basically general readers and then one for specific for the colleagues um, as a subgroup mm -hmm. where I also send very specific um, you know, tips and um, things for colleagues wanting to work online. And at the moment, they are like every other week, both of them. So, oh, that's also great. so colleagues who are also on the general list will receive one every week because they get mm -hmm. both, but... Interesting. Okay. So those are very practical questions I ask you because I know that this is some of the hurdles and the questions that very often my clients ask me. And I tend to recommend if you you know you're going to get overwhelmed, focus on one language yes. in terms of marketing, but then it doesn't mean that you can't work in other languages. Exactly. It's just that your efforts should be directed into being consistent with one language. And then if you manage to do here and there other languages, then it's bonus. Yeah. And I've had for, for quite a while, my English, so my, the basic website was in three languages, but because I had a lot more blog posts in German and a lot more content in German, if I had a client who reached out, who um, I could see through the contact form that they had been on the English version of the website, but they were writing to me in German because it's a German living somewhere in an English speaking country, for example, using an English browser. I would tell them, well, you speak German, you should change the language and check out my German website because it has actually a lot more content. You know, mm -hmm. um, you can play around with that a little bit. But um, I also have a f um, I have two Facebook pages because you asked about the different um, languages. I have one that is mixed German and English, and I have one that is only French that I started because basically French people don't want to read English content in general. <laughs> They want something very specific French but it's still quite small compared to the other one. It's definitely something that is more of a smaller side business at the moment, and it's not my main focus, but I just, you know, still like feed it with content and then we'll just see where it goes. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So Nomad Nation, if you want to learn how to build content to be able to do that, again, go to tandemnomads.com slash 140, and I take you step-by-step step through how to do that. But Sonia has also some great marketing strategies that are specific to having a psychotherapist or psychology practice business. <laughs> so would you tell me what are some of the, I remember we had a conversation about marketing strategies and I was explaining at the conference where we met about my like 3C model, which is first get clarity, second be consistent and third work on your conversion. Um, we talked about different marketing strategies. I'd love to know some of the specific marketing strategies you would recommend in this case of when we're in cycle a psychotherapist or a psychologist, because some of the things might be need to be a bit adjusted in this case. What would that be? So my approach to it in general is that I do not need to convince anyone to buy what I have to offer. I want to reach those oh, I want to reach those who are already ready for it and who want it. So it's all about reaching them. So I don't need an elaborate funnel system. My clients, once they find me and they see that I offer what they're looking for, they want to book a session. They don't want mm -hmm. to like first download an ebook and a free whatever kind of thing and then build a little course. That's not my audience. My audience wants counseling sessions or maybe an email counseling, but the, and usually they want it now and not, you know, in two months or whenever. So I actually have a lot of clients who tell me they even don't want a newsletter. 
they don't want to know me as a person. They don't want to get something from me outside of the sessions. They want me to be their therapist in the sessions in that kind of um, context. So now that I started working with colleagues, I can definitely see the difference when you're marketing to colleagues compared to if you're trying to attract counseling clients. One of the things that I've been telling colleagues more and more when they've been asking me is that depending on what type of clients you want to work with, especially as a therapist, you might not need social media. You know, most people who are not running a business, they're on Facebook to see the holiday pictures of their cousin or to share a recipe or whatever else people now do on social media today. They are not there to see an ad for a therapist. Like don't run Facebook ads. It just doesn't make any sense. Maybe if you have a course or if you have like, you know, something else to offer, but if it's really about counseling or therapy sessions, I've recently told the example of like, I had to go to the dentist in Bangkok and I'm not going to look on Instagram, which dentist posts the nicest <laughs> pictures. You know, that's not what I'm looking for. So really think about, and don't overthink it. Like really, I feel a lot of um, colleagues start to read all of those blog posts and all of those marketing things that they have to do and you have to have this and you have to have this. Maybe you don't because maybe your audience is not the type of audience that is on social media at all. Or maybe they don't want to find you there because they want it to be something private. So really think about the best ways to reach the people that you really want to work with and where they would look for you. And for me, I know that people Google. People will, Excellent. I mean, that's what I do. You know, if, I'm, if I need to find a dentist in Bangkok, I will Google or I will maybe Google Maps because you have reviews, but mostly I will look for referrals. I will ask someone who's maybe lived in that city for a while who can recommend something. And it's quite similar if you were looking for a therapist, in my opinion. Excellent. You know what? I love what you just brought up. And if I just sum it up in a few words, I think it's all about search engine optimization, which is building a very good SEO. And that goes with knowing exactly how to use, you know, your keywords on your website, but also creating consistent and regular content. And this is why people found you on Google. On top of the word of mouth is very important you know, when it's about counseling, people also share word of mouth. But if you want to be proactive and say, I'm just starting, I don't know where to start. Um, I would say, make sure that you are creating relevant content that Google will pick up. So in terms of content uh, that will Google will pick up, could you tell me, like, how do you, what do you write about when you have to write about psychotherapy or psychology? I basically write a blog post Every time I notice that I've been telling a story for the 10th time to a client or whether the same topics keeps coming up or whether the same kind of issues or something, I will write something about it. Um, I obviously, obviously started with a few blog posts around pro and cons of online counseling, um, how does it work, like what to expect in the first session, like those kind of um, blog posts obviously are really helpful um, just to give people an, an idea of what, um, what to expect. I also write about things that just interest me. You know, like um, I write about digital nomad lifestyle. I write about um, books that I recommend. I um, we, we have an online therapist book club. So I've been reading a lot of um, work-related books lately. And I mean, in general, I've always done that, but I've also been talking about them with colleagues. And so I try to then write blog posts about them. People love having book recommendations. Um, and things that I recommend to my clients that I keep recommending to them, like I just try to really find a way or look at what I 
I work with, what I talk about, what my clients talk about, and then try to turn that into blog post. I, I also, of course, have like keywords that I think about. I have, you know, an idea behind it, but I also try to not be completely strict about that. Like if I just feel like writing about something and I think my audience will enjoy it, you know, whatever, just write yes. it enjoy it. Exactly. I came yeah. from the background of, I just finished my PhD. I was in this kind of very rigid scientific writing mindset. And it was so liberating to just be able to write however and whatever I want. And, you know, obviously there's like a minimum and a maximum of words maybe, and a few things that you should think about. And if you write in German, you have to decide how to address people, whether you use the formal way or the informal and those kind of things that you also have to do in English or in, uh, in Spanish or in um French and there's lots of things obviously to figure out but just have fun with it you know just yeah and think a little bit about what your clients want to read about obviously yeah and I think that's such an important message here and you know um, when I listen to you and there's one thing that I mean two things that go together for me is important just do it yes take action but don't get overstressed with all the practicalities of it. Just do it. Yeah. That's that's basically it. And once you get started, things you can fine tune, you can improve and everything. And I think the stress of a lot of um, people who are in the same field as you is like, oh my God, where am I going to start? It seems such a big mountain to tackle. And I'm like, let's just simplify it and start with baby steps. And I think that's important. I think your attitude also of thinking of having fun with it is important. Uh, let's not think about it as a chore, yeah. but more as a way to connect with your audience and help those who maybe don't need a psychotherapist, but will really enjoy reading you know, your content and also find great value in it. So, And I do get clients who will tell me that they've been following my blog for two or three years now. You know, You also get mm -hmm. those people who just, need a bit longer and then they will contact you or they will recommend you to someone. Um, one of the marketing strategies that I wanted to add before was the build a good referral network, especially with colleagues who have different specialties and who will then mm. send someone to you because they know that's your thing. Like, for example, I get a lot of clients who have relationship issues and I have a German speaking colleague. It's just not her topic. It's not what she enjoys working with. And she has some other things that, you know, she prefers. So when she gets a client who has like this kind of issue, she will just send them to me. And if someone has a different issue that I'm, you know, that's not my favorite or my specialty, then I will send them to her. And I have a lot of um, life coaches, for example, in my network who will then send me clients when they say, well, no, the, that client actually needs a psychotherapist, needs someone who's mm -hmm. more trained than what I can offer. So really be active in those communities, find your colleagues and your peers and um, put yourself out there. People will recommend that's you. Excellent. Yeah. Be part of the community. And that's actually the case for any portable business. You need to be part of a community of peers. Absolutely. And that is a great way to also to focus on one of the biggest strategies in marketing, which is referrals. So I'm so happy you brought that up. Um, so we covered so much here. Um, and thank you so much, Sonia, because this was just amazing. So much gold, gold nuggets here. But is there any big message you want to share before we end today? Well, I was just thinking about the, when you just asked about the blog post, I think what I noticed that people get really anxious about and overwhelmed is obviously you tell them to be consistent and that is a very good message and very important message, but they don't understand that you can prepare stuff in advance. Oh yeah, batching, yes. batching. <laughs> and so I love writing, but I'm not feeling inspired to write every week. But if I'm feeling like 
I have an idea, then usually I will have a few ideas and I will just spend a few days really focused on writing or I will um, create a schedule where I can have time to write. And for me, the best way to do it is to go to a cafe to get a good coffee, a nice piece of cake or breakfast or whatever, brunch, something, and then start writing. And I usually go without my laptop charger. So I know I have a limited time. Um, you know, it lasts a few hours, so I can still stay there for quite some time. And then, with, especially if you have a nice view, if you're nice, a, cafe, a nice cafe here in, in Adelaide today, it was in one where you can, you're in front of um, a river and you can actually see dolphins um, who live there and just, you know, have that kind of inspiration of a nice space. Um, and then just prepare your stuff in advance and feel whenever you write, whenever you feel like it. Obviously, you have to make time for it. But I have like 10 half-started, half-finished blog posts waiting for the day when I'm like, okay, I need to finish one today. I'm not feeling inspired to write something new. I will just finish that one. Yeah. So I think that's a great combination between what I was calling batching and also just writing. If you feel inspired, just start writing and you don't have to finish yes. it. And it's great because then you have something half done when you really have to publish something. Um, I want to talk about batching a little bit, which is actually what I'm doing today. I'm having like four interviews in a row for the next month or two. So the whole week, so every first week of the month, I would like block it to record many interviews so that I don't have to think about it all the time. Because a lot of, of my clients will tell me, but I don't want to spend 90% of my time doing marketing. I want to do my job, what people need me for. And that's how you do it. So first of all, get inspired. If you're inspired, just write. Um, but sometimes maybe also block a time of your week was just for that. So you don't have to think about it anymore. And again, we talk about it in this episode that I will put in the show notes, tandemnomads.com slash 140. So can you please tell us where we can find you, Sonia? Where's the best place to find you? You can find me, well, my website. You can also find me on Instagram and on Facebook. And I believe also on Pinterest, either now or soon, because I have a virtual assistant who has been building that up. That's another really great tip. Outsource, yeah. get help. Don't do it everything yourself. Um, Very important. I'm pretty much everywhere at Dr. Sonia Jäger on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find me there. Unless you want to speak French, then you can find me on Facebook at Dr. Sonia Jäger Psy en ligne or something like that. I'm actually not completely sure about my, <laughs> my French name. <laughs> but I think the best way to find everything is to go to your website, which is... It is um, Sonia... Um, minusjäger.com. I'll put it on the show notes yes. of this episode. Thank you again, Sonia, for sharing your great journey and expertise. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. The Nomad Nation, again, make sure to go to the show notes of this episode where all this information is. I hope you enjoyed listening to Sonia's great tips. And again, if you, even if you're not a psychologist or psychotherapist, I think all these tips work as well for you too. So I hope you enjoyed it. And as usual, stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities and see you in the next episode.